Welcome to Inside the Analyst's Cubicle. Here we dive deep to get to know one of our data fam famous or not so famous visualization artists. Learning about their beginnings, middles, and what they're going to do next. So sit back, relax, grab the comforting beverage of your choice, and join me as we get to know Tableau Social Ambassador and Superstore Sales most prolific customer, Sean Miller, just a little bit better. Welcome to the show, Sean. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. It is my pleasure, my friend. It is good to talk to you. You too. So let's go ahead and get started. Sure. So please just take a moment to introduce yourself to the listeners. Sure. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, I am uh, Sean Miller. And during the day, I work at uh, Cerner Corporation, which is uh, located here in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, so we are right in the heart of the United States, and Cerner is a arguably uh, the largest healthcare IT company uh, in the world. And I, as a lead BI developer, have responsibility for the development and strategy for our EMR reporting solutions. Um, so uh, I, lead, I run a analytics center of excellence uh, there on my team. We support a uh, we support a production of uh, I think as I was counting it up yesterday we have uh, seven uh, production environments uh, with over 170 cores and uh, over half a million licensed users. So it is it is a behemoth of an operation. It's really fun. We're we're really unique in that our our users are external, so the majority of our users are actually nurses, doctors, uh, people at uh, hospital systems, uh, which is which is a really fun way to help uh, people see and understand data because we're we're helping sh uh, change um, we're helping change healthcare from uh, for to add value uh, as opposed to just charging money. So, and then when I'm not doing that, uh, I am hipster viz ninja. Uh, you can find me on all the social media uh, channels and uh, as Hipster Viz Ninja, YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me on my YouTube channel and I also have a blog by the same name. So if you just search Hipster Viz Ninja, you'll find me. Uh, and I run the, I help run the uh, Kansas City Tableau User Group here in Kansas City. Uh, I'm also a uh, workout Wednesday coach have been for the past couple of years, been involved since it started in 2017. Uh, and then this year, uh, due to my healthcare background, uh, I, I teamed up with uh, Lindsay Betzendahl for uh, Project Health Viz. So uh, there's always something new uh, on my Tableau Public profile. So I am excited to be here. 
I can't believe, I mean, I knew you did all that stuff, but I don't think I realize. I mean, when you hear it, it's kind of incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, um, so I'm curious because you're in the medical field, um, mm-hmm. how has COVID and all of that changed um, kind of the job? Like, I'm, I'm guessing you saw an uptick. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. My life you probably noticed I was a little bit silent last year. Um, and that was because I was, I was doing, I was, I was all COVID all the time. Um, we had some, we had some pretty high level, uh, analytic, uh, strategic partners that we, uh, dove in with giving the massive amount of data, um, and that we have the massive amount of, uh, healthcare data that we have access to. Uh, we had a lot of, uh, really high level, high level, uh, partners that we partnered with to get a handle on on COVID, along with just our individual health systems and helping them get an understanding for, you know, uh, for all the different aspects of COVID. Because, you know, initially it was, we thought this was a flu. Uh, so we saw a huge uptick in flu tests and flu diagnoses. And then it was like, no, wait, this is COVID. And then there was a whole switch to getting an actual COVID test. And then we started, uh, you know, I mean, all of this was happening at, at one time. And it was all, you know, not only were the tests being developed and the data was just starting to flow in, but, you know, it was, uh, we need the data now. We need the data yesterday. And we need to get a handle on, you know, from a geospatial aspect. I mean, we were we were doing things that we had, you know, we had planned on doing, uh, but COVID really kind of helped us kick everything into high gear uh, from a reporting and analytics and just all the different ways that we can stratify data and, and to give uh, to give nurses and, and practitioners um, an, a, a more in-depth view of, of how things are progressing in their in their respective populations. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. So let's uh, let's rewind. Let's go back okay. in history. Um, yes. Tell tell me about your education. Like sure. So I took a little bit of a uh, I t- I took a little bit of a detour to get into analytics. Um, I am a uh, amusement park manager turned bartender turned uh, back to student turned server turned uh, teacher, uh, and finally then into, uh, into Cerner and, and analytics. So this started all the way back in, uh, the mid, uh, two thousands. And I was working at, uh, the local amusement park here, worlds of fun owned by Cedar fair, uh, and was an amusement park manager and water park manager, uh, and did that for several years, enjoyed it. Uh, I have so many, so many stories, uh, yeah, I could, I could tell stories for days about all the things that I saw and all the people I saw and all the people I interacted with there, which was fun, but I kind of hit a ceiling, uh, and I was like, I, I needed a change. So I left, went back to school, waited tables and, uh, and, and slung drinks to get my way through, uh, through school, uh, and decided I wanted to become a teacher because one of the things that I really liked about what I did at, uh, the amusement park was I love doing the training and I love doing the teaching and uh, and all that kind of stuff. So teaching was a very uh, plus my mom was a teacher uh, for many years. So it just it was just a kind of a natural fit. So I went back, I uh, was in school and but, you know, data and analysis was always kind of always in the back of my mind. Um, you know, I'm the, I'm the one. 
I was the I was the type of server that I could tell you my average check amount off the top of my head. I could tell you how many. Uh, I could tell you the average price per check I needed to get in order to make a certain amount of money on tips. Uh, you know, I, so I was always analyzing that um, and trying to see different strategies to try and uh, increase my uh, my average uh, check amount. Those types of things. As I was in my final year of uh, of teaching, Cerner actually reached out to our to my university, and they started an internship uh, scholarship program for STEM teachers to come in and get some real world experience at Cerner, uh, in hopes in the direction of uh, let's give new teachers some real world experience in science, technology, engineering, and math, and let's give them real-world experience that they can then hopefully take back into the classroom uh, to help, you know, kind of make that connection of how the things that they'll be teaching make a connection to uh, to the to the corporate world, if you will. So I did that. I did that over the summer. Really enjoyed it. I did uh, some uh, Microsoft Excel analysis while I was there. Had a great time, made really good connections. Went and did my student teaching. Then I said, uh, and then I graduated uh, from school and I had somebody reach out to me from the team that I was an intern on and said, we just had a, we just had a spot open up. Um, and we'd love to, if you're willing, we would love to uh, have you back on the team as, uh, as a full-time employee. So I'm forced to make a choice. Do I go to the classroom? Or do I go into uh, corporate? And um, I chose I, I, I chose to go into the corporate world because, as I like to tell people, public education wasn't ready for me, um, which is uh, which is good. And so, and that's kind of where it where it kind of that's where it kind of happened. Uh, and so I was kind of doing uh, doing a lot of ex I was a business analyst uh, in 2014. I was doing lots of heavy analysis uh, in Excel. You know, I was the uh, I was the guy who had Excel workbooks with you know I was writing VBA macros and I had an entire I had entire hidden worksheets that were just sheets of fifty pivot tables that I would then turn into pivot charts and then I would like make dashboards out of uh, Microsoft Excel work worksheets uh, and then one day. My boss colleague came to me and said, so we're kind of, we're getting, we've heard about this thing called Tableau. We're not really sure what it is. We've seen some cool things. It has some promise. We're going to get it. We're going to get a couple of licenses. And um, do you want one? Do you want one of the licenses? And I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> and, and that's, and and then the rest is history. So that's kind of a, a quick uh, 12 year run into how I got started with Tableau. So, so I have to ask, how long before you realized that you were actually in the Superstore data set? <laughs> uh, it was um, an interesting story. So the answer to your question, the short answer to your question is uh, 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> because, so imagine this, everybody, close your eyes, think back to your very first training of Tableau. The very first time you open up Tableau desktop, you're in training, the instructor says, this is Tableau, it's a drag and drop interface. 
you just drag you just drag columns uh, from the left data pane over into the canvas. You can't break anything. So just make some charts. Just get a feel for the drag and drop interface. Just make whatever you want. Play around. Click. Do that kind of thing. So I said, that's that's a cool way to start. I like that. Um, so looking at the list of dimensions, I said, oh, customer name. That's something I would understand. And I look at the list of dimensions and I see, oh, sales, done. So I drag sale, I drag customer name to rows. I drag sales to uh, columns. And I see that Tableau automatically sorts it by uh, alphabetical, by customer name. I look for a sort button. Oh, I see it. I click descending, uh, descending sales order. And there I am at the very top of the list. Not only is it my name, it's spelled exactly the same. Now, picture that. I mean, just hold on to that thought for a minute. Your very first interaction with this new software that nobody doesn't really know anything about, like it was, it was so odd. Like I was, I, it was to the point that I was like looking to the people next to me, like look, like hey, make this chart. Is it because I thought maybe the instructor was doing something cool and he had like you know you know, done something, you know, dynamically to put the person's name in the, it, to do so, I don't know. But everybody else around me, of course, had the same thing. I was like, this is, this is amazing. And then I was, at that moment, I was like, well, I have to stick with this now. I have to make this work because what are the, what are the chances? It was so, fate. Yeah, it was fate. Exactly. It was, it was fate. It was destiny. It was, it was meant to be. Oh man, that's so fantastic. I can't imagine <laughs> like just seeing your, your name at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so you, you've been at Cerner your entire career. Yes. Yeah. So I've been there since 2014 um, and have, you know, because I got so, you know, I got involved with, you know, I saw my name in, in, in Superstore in the demo data set. I was like, okay, well, I have to start learning this. I have to start figuring this out. And that's when I started, you know, doing more Googling and, um, you know, I, I figured out the, uh, you know, I got in touch with the community, got in touch on Twitter. Um, and, and, you know, this is 2014. This is 2015 by this time. Uh, and so this is, this is the time that not a lot of people know about, Mark. And you remember this. This is the time before Makeover Monday, right? This is the time when people were just out there doing their own thing. There were no initiatives there were, or when, when there were initiatives, they were very few and far between. Uh, there were no, you know, there were no, there were no dashboards that were built on the same topic every week. So it was a very, it, it was, it was just a, a very interesting time uh, when you look back on it now uh, to just, you know, how, how original I feel like um, it was back then. Not that it's, it's not, not that it's any worse or different now, but it was just an, an interesting and different time back then. Totally. So when you get a new data set, either professionally or personally, I don't know how much you do running the COE, you know, as far as design and how do you approach a data set? Like what's your kind of logical path? Yeah. So we start, I start, I, I start by asking, uh, asking questions uh, first. And I, and when I say asking questions, I ask, the stakeholder. What are we? What are we? What are we trying to do with the data? And I'm, luckily, I'm in a position 
where I get to, I'm the one that's helping to curate the data set. So we start with the questions. We start with, you know, what is, what is the problem that we want to go solve? What are the dimensions and measures that we want to be able to measure and stratify by? And then we get to go create a data set uh, that does that one thing. So we're not, uh, luckily, thankfully, um, we get to curate data sets specifically for, uh, for a particular challenge, for a particular question. Um, in my, you know, in my personal stuff, uh, if I'm given a data set, that's, you know, usually the, you know, the first, I usually ask it four questions, uh, the who, the what, the where, and the how, right? So you kind of think about those types of, so you think about when, right? You think about, okay, is there a date column? Is there a date dimension in here? Is there a time of some sort? Uh, you know, is there a what? You got to look through all of the different dimensions uh, and just, that's why I really like, uh, I really like what, you know, what Tableau Prep has done for data discovery and looking at a data set for the first time and being able to see what are some of the values in here and what are some, what's the kind of distribution of those? Because, you know, when you're given a data set that you have no clue about uh, and just, you know, before, you know, it was just, well, I guess I'm just going to drag this dimension in and, and hope it tells me something, uh, you know, but with, you know, with, with new products like Tableau Prep, you're able to see kind of a, a high level overview uh, of those. But yeah, I would certainly say uh, the way that I kind of approach uh, data sets is asking questions and, um, and just seeing, seeing what the data tells me. That's really fascinating. I've actually never heard anybody describe, I mean, I know Tableau Prep obviously gives you a lot of the um, distribution of values and things like that, but I've never actually really thought about it as a discovery tool. Like generally I always start in desktop, whereas mm -hmm. starting in prep makes a heck of a lot of sense. Yeah. That's, yeah. I like that. I like yeah. that a lot. <clears throat> yeah. So, and you know, you can kind of get a, you can get a better understanding of, okay, you know, because you might have, you know, there might be several columns in this data set that are either, you know, either they, they could be both both ends of the spectrum. They could really have a really high cardinality with a lot of, you know, small values, or they could be, you know, or they could have a very, uh, you know, a very uh, large cardinality uh, with a big distribution. So it's just a nice way to kind of get a high level overview. Yeah. So let's let's dive into some of your work. Sure. Um, uh, I am a fan of your music visits. So I, I, <laughs> the first one that I want to talk about is uh, the analytic the analytical angle of Weird Al Yankovic. Yes. Um, I love Weird Al simply for the fact that while he has, you know, covered and parodied hundreds of artists he is the one that remains relevant where all exactly. of the people he has parodied parodied do not really exist anymore exactly so, so let's talk about let's talk about this dashboard Tell, yeah walk us through it sure so uh this i had this idea uh right after uh his last album mandatory fun came out because it was a for the for the people that for the for the nerds that follow him um you uh it, it came known that this was the end of his original 14 album contract when he signed his original record deal he he signed on to do 14 and so this was the last one and we all know that he does 
we all know that he does parodies. That's what he's famous for, right? And that makes sense because parodies are, you know, he takes whatever's popular uh, and he mashes them up and, you know, makes them silly and, and, and people enjoy that. Right. So, but actually um, what, you know, what I'll say, what the true fans know is that his original songs are, uh, are far superior to far superior to any of his, uh, his parodies. So that I really wanted to kind of dive in. And at the same time, I had always kind of thought in the back of my head that this he is a very formulaic uh artist like he has a formula to all of his albums right and even without before i even started doing some of this analysis i knew you know every single album starts off with a parody and it's usually the most popular parody and then he's going to sprinkle in original songs uh you know in between and then right in the middle of the album like side one uh, or side two song one is going to be the, the polka medley uh, where he medleys all the polkas together. And then the very, usually side two last track uh, is going to be something really far off, uh, you know, really off the wall. And usually it's usually his longest song. So that was kind of the idea uh, of it. And I wanted to try and see if I could put something together that would kind of help uh, highlight uh his formula for putting together uh, an, a, a parody album. It, it's, it's just, it's utterly fantastic when you look at it. And it honestly, for me, it brings back a lot of memories of my, my childhood listening to Weird Al. Yes. Um, and I had never actually picked up on the pattern of mm-hmm. the polka in the middle. Yes. Um, but yeah, and usually the polkas are are my favorite part of the album. And I'm not yes. a huge polka fan, but it's right. just the fact yeah. that he took pop music and rock music and turned it into a polka. Yes, I know. Like, like I'm saying, like who 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 goes out and actually listens to a polka song? Like nobody does that, but I do. <laughs> so and and you know what he you know what he does. What I think is so great about the polka music is he makes any popular song fit into a, a polka medley, which is just like. Uh, which is just fascinating. It, it's uh, yeah. it, it's kind of also an interesting kind of when you start thinking about, you know, you know, the data of music and there's only a certain way, you know, all songs have to cert- fit into a certain kind of pattern. And he's just kind of he's cracked that code, which yeah, is pretty I interesting. Mean, medleys are really hard to put together. And yeah. it's, it's generally because of like the, the key signature. Mm-hmm. And, and if the key signatures aren't the same. Um, it can be really difficult and he's really talented in making those transitions. Yes. So it's just, yeah, it's it, love. I love this. Viz. It's, it's yeah. not, it's not overly complex, but it just no. tells a great story. Exactly. And that's what I wanted. And that's what I wanted to do is, you know, um, I, I just wanted it to, and then I used the, um, you know, I, I used the Spotify API to pull out the popularity uh, of each of the songs on the albums uh, so that you could kind of get a feel for, um, you know, which songs are the most popular on an album. Or actually, I should say, the, the popularity metric is actually across his entire discography. Um, so it's it's kind of a, you can kind of see uh, which are the most popular songs across his entire catalog. Yeah. So, and speaking of that Spotify API, that takes me to probably my favorite viz of yours of all time. Yes. Um, 
And that is the Rolling Stone presents the hundred greatest metal albums of all time, because I am a metalhead. Yes. And these lists always just generate discussion and an argument about mm-hmm. this should be on the list. This shouldn't be on the list, but I love the analytical track you took for this list. So, mm-hmm. so just kind of walk us through this. Yes. So, um, I love this. I love this viz. I, I had this, I, I mean, this was one of those vizs that as soon as, I mean, it just kind of naturally organically created itself out of just gathering the data. Like I knew immediately the way that I wanted to present this data. Um, so, you know, obviously, you know, several different things that I wanted to take into account. One, I wanted it to be a long form viz. I don't have a lot of long form, but I wanted every single I wanted every single album to be shown, uh, to be visible, right? So it, I wanted this to be a poster. And then as I started kind of looking into all of the different musical attributes, I mean, I just chose, um, you know, I just chose four, uh, but there are lots of others. Uh, but these seem to be the ones that had uh, the most relevance, that seemed to tell the most interesting story. Uh, so obviously beats per minute. You obviously think when you think metal music, you think fast, you think hard, you think heavy. But actually, um, if you look at this, I mean, they all kind of all of them, as you kind of scroll down the as you kind of scan down the list, they're all within around 100 and around 120 uh, beats per minute on the on average. Um, And it also really helped when I created this that, uh, you know, the over the overwhelming majority of them we're on Spotify so that I could actually get the data, which was really, really nice. I didn't know what I was getting into. I knew that I wanted to do something with it. Uh, but when I found out that they had the entire uh, catalog on there, I was able to, to really do some fun things. So beats per minute. And then next, what I did is you'll notice I put uh, energy and, and, and valence uh, right next to each other. So valence is a, you know, is kind of a, a pseudo way of measuring positivity. Um, so basically, the higher the value, the higher the valence, the more positive message or the positive feeling you'll feel after listening to this. So obviously, metal is not necessarily the most positive music all the time. So I expected those to be really uh, low. But obviously, you you think of uh, metal music and you think high energy. Um, and so when you put those really next to each other, uh, when you put those metrics right next to each other, you can see them kind of converge. Uh, on each other. So we're going, you know, we're going fast and hard and, you know, we're, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to feel good uh, afterwards. Um, We're not talking about, you know, we're not talking about, you know, sunshines and rainbows. Um, And then popularity again, on the other side of the spectrum, uh, you know, looking at, uh, you know, which songs or which uh, not necessarily which songs, but which albums are more popular. And this was more of a test to validate the list that they created, right? So were the albums that they created higher in popularity? And the overwhelming answer is yes. As you get down uh, into some of the, into the lower half, into the lower quarter, you can see, you know, it's, it's really sporadic, but up at the top, they're all pretty uh, very highly popular. So um and, and that's, then, imp- yeah. that's impressive, even considering the age of some of these albums. Like, yes. you think about the general Spotify listener, they're not seeking out Black Sabbath's Paranoid album. Right. You know? Exactly. Yes. Um, so that was just the thing that kind of blew me away 
in seeing this viz. The other thing it, about this viz that I love is the fact it reminded me that Motorhead covered Louie Louie. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. That is a that is a classic song. <clears throat> um, but the other little thing that I absolutely love on this viz is where you don't have data, you put the little metal double horns. I mean, I needed some sort of an icon to sh- to 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 mention to show people that okay, I didn't just mess something up like this. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to scaffold this data with every single list, but and I needed some sort of an icon to kind of help people draw their attention to why there's no data and an asterisk just didn't feel right. Yeah. Um, I and, needed and it, something to kind of feel to to kind of hit that feeling. And it's fantastic. Like inside the tooltips, being able to dive in, listen to it on Spotify, mm-hmm. see Rolling Stones write up of why they think it's that way. Yeah. Um, and then even get more information on Wikipedia. I mean, it's, it's, it's such uh, such, such good execution here. Thank you. Um, yeah. So that was, you know, one of the things that I try to do with, and you'll notice that theme across all of my music visits is I want to bring the music into the viz, right? And, uh, you know, I've got multiple others. My very first, my very, so here's another first for you. Um, my very, I, I have a, a an interesting kind of thing that I can hang my hat on uh, for the rest of my days. My very first Tableau Public Viz was nominated at Viz of the Week, uh, which I will I will never forget, and I will always tell people about. And it's a music viz, uh, so music uh, is is something that you know when it comes to visualizing data, music is always something that gravitates uh, towards me. But it's always about, and even in that one, uh, and in the uh, Weird Al viz that we just looked at, there's there's links in there to bring the music in. Uh, to the viz. So as you're exploring this this visualization, you can visual. You can also listen. Uh, so it's kind of a a multimedia uh, type of experience. Yeah, and and in the Weird Al, you actually embedded a Spotify player for a couple of tracks, which is really nice. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you, you're talking about Tableau Public. So how has Tableau Public changed your kind of skills? Enhanced your skills? Like, what has it done for you? Um, I live by a very simple rule and I learned this, this is something that I started, um, very early on in my career. And I, it's the one piece of advice I tell everybody who I talk to about Tableau Public. And so to all of the listeners here, this is what Tableau Public is to me. It is the place where I get to practice without the stakeholder over my shoulder. I have long held the belief that I will not learn something new for a stakeholder. I will learn something new and then I will bring that into something, but I will already have the knowledge before a stakeholder asks me to create something. I will have already practiced it, created it, messed around, made mistakes, um, you know, learned the learned the best practices. Uh, and so that's that's what Tableau Public is for me. It's a place to learn without risk because I feel like there's a lot of us, um, there's a lot of analysts who get, they unfortunately, they get stuck in a, in a bad way. And, and what I mean by that is they get a stakeholder who demands so much of them so quickly that it causes undue stress and undue pressure on them. And it just does not make it a fun experience. But with, that's what, that's what Tableau Public has done for me is it has allowed me a platform to practice outside of what I do day to day. 
Amen. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so now so that's did... what, and that's what you'll see. And that's what really kind of brought me into um, workout Wednesday is like, Oh, workout Wednesday. This is these, this is a, a community, an initiative of building things for business dashboards that I can then take and I can, sh- I can show my stakeholder, look, I learned to do this new thing. Isn't this, isn't this something that, you know, this is something you've been asking for and I just happened to learn it uh, because I've just been doing this week over week or, and what's even more important is I don't take, you know, early on, you don't take necessarily the exact replica, but by doing workout Wednesday, you learn the techniques that you can then take a technique that you learned in workout Wednesday and you can modify it to fit the the problem or the question that you have from your stakeholders. Like, oh, wait, this isn't exactly what I did in workout Wednesday, but I did this thing where I had to write this calculation a certain way to do this reference line that helped me kind of do this extra padding or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, I can kind of modify that to uh, to help me achieve this 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 goal or this this question. So, yeah, it's awesome. All right. So now we're going to jump into my favorite part of the show, which is the speed round. All right. So what is the first viz you remember seeing on Tableau Public? Uh, that would be uh, Endangered Safari by RJ Andrews. What is your favorite viz you've created? Uh, that would be my Woodstock uh, Iron Viz from last, uh, last Iron Viz. What is your least favorite viz you've created? <laughs> uh, I did a Makeover Monday 20, uh, 2016 week 12 on women's rights. It is, it's awful. What's your, what's your favorite chart type? Uh, I, am a, I am a classic uh, bar chart. You know, I have my screensaver whenever I, when I talk to clients or whenever I talk to uh, other viz authors at Cerner is, you know, my backdrop, it says bars, lines, dots, and everything else. So what is your least favorite chart type? Uh, I'm, I'm going to be uh, controversial here. Uh, anything with a curve. What is your favorite Tableau feature? Hmm. That's really, that's a really good question. Um, I am going to go, I'm going to go with reference lines. There are so many things you can do with, with reference lines. Who inspires you from a data viz sense? Um, the community. How many viz ideas are still sitting on your computer unfinished? <laughs> I have a folder in my Google drive called untouched data sets. And I think it's, uh, at, uh, like, um, 150. <laughs> Describe the Tableau community in a single word. Inspiring. And with a final hat tip to James Lipton, what is your favorite curse word? Thank you so much for joining us today, Sean. I appreciate your willingness to open your robe. And uh, I know the audience has learned a lot and I appreciate the fact that you sat inside the analyst's cubicle today. Good day, dear listener. Thanks for tuning in.
music from today's episode comes from Take Tones, a track called Triumph of Light. Hey, you're still here? Um, you're probably waiting for like the next podcast uh, to kick in, probably something better. Um, thanks for hanging on. Anyway, if you're picking up what we're putting down, uh, consider buying us a cup of coffee on ko-fi.com slash D-A-T-A-P-L-U-S-L-O-V-E. Um, just, you know, drop $3 in our tip bucket. It helps us buy better equipment. It helps us uh, pay for razor blades to keep me from looking like a wolf man. And it keeps uh, Mark's head looking so shiny and beautiful. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll never put anything behind a paywall. And thanks to your patronage. Have a great day.